and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that have happened in history. I'm your podcast host for today, Amelia Edwards, and with me is Barnaby King. Hello there. Hello, and how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Good. It's a nice day. I'm full of pasta and Cajun spices. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Because in the way of all English people, we don't eat English food very often. Of course not. That just wouldn't be the way. No. <laughs> it is not the British way to eat English food. Very true. So last time we did an episode about French legal affairs in medieval times. Yeah. And this time I think we'll do something about French legal affairs. Oh, nice. But let's make new... it the 1500s, because oh, why not? Okay, okay. So it's still sort of the theme that our podcast has become, but, you know, just a little bit later. Yeah, I mean... Wait, did you say 1500s? Yeah. The last one was in the 1500s. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It was in 1522, don't you remember? Oh, yeah. That whole bit about why it may not have been in 1522. That's true. Um, I don't think the 1500s count as medieval. Maybe I'm just being a bit wild here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, even the early 1500s? Even the early 1500s in France? Early 1500s, I think. But surely, my, my story is from 1560. Okay. Well, I defer to you as you are the one with the degree. <laughs> but I think we're splitting hairs at this we point. We probably are. It's very difficult to tell the difference between yeah. any particular time, really. Yeah, cause what we, is time? Yeah, we kind of, I guess... In in this country, we we sort of, I guess you have that base idea of you've got the medieval period. Yes. And then I think it becomes the Tudors. Yes. And then kind of goes into gradations of modern day from then. I mean, some people go, okay, as soon as America gets discovered, that's the ah. end of medieval times. So that's 1492. Well, yeah, fair. Is that when Columbus sailed the ocean green? Yes, <laughs> the ocean orange. <laughs> or a big old bowl of Fanta. Like, yeah, Col- that's why about- the ocean is blue now, was because it was very hard to find things to rhyme with orange. I was also, I was about to call him Columbo instead of Columbus. <laughs> One more thing. One more thing. What's this huge continent here? <laughs> a very different part of history, wouldn't it? <laughs> Oh dear, good old Colombo. Anyway. All right, so I'm going to tell you the story of what ancientorigins.com calls <laughs> calls a French medieval peasant. Okay. Um who is in fact a reasonably well-off French Merchant? early modern guy. Okay. Like I don't know how his family's making money, but he lives in a town. Okay. So he's not a peasant. No, not really. Um he lived in a town called Artigat, I think. Okay. Um, and he was a little bit unpopular with his peers, even though his family had a lot of money. His name okay. is Martin Gare. Ah, right. So he once made a roux sauce that was slightly too lumpy, and of course, he was disowned by the rest of the town. <laughs> Absolutely. So, ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> French stereotypes. Martin Gare is um, a little bit famous. He's had two films made about him oh. and an opera. Oh wow! And. There was an argument as to whether a Simpsons episode was based on him. Right. But the creator says very definitely that it wasn't. What episode? Or is that going to become um, clear? 
It's okay. I can't remember the name of the episode. It's the one where it turns out that Seymour Skinner isn't Seymour. Ah, I think that one's called The Principal and the Pauper. That is called The Principal and the Pauper. Yeah. And it's not based on Martin Gare. No. It's based on, do you know who? Who? Roger Tichborn. Oh, yay! Which may tell previous listeners something about what's going to happen in this story. <laughs> yeah, he's going to um, create a celestial sex bed. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> For new listeners, that is not what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Although we do talk about the celestial sex bed at some point. Right, so uh, Martin Gare grew up in Artigat, um and when he was about 14, he got married okay. to a lady called Bertrand de Rolle, she who was, was also wealthy. She was 39 years old. She was a fiery temptress. Oh, if uh, only. She was nine or ten. Oh, my God. Right? Which is actually the youngest marriage we've had on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, that's grim. Yeah, it's pretty grim. Um, for, eight or, for eight years, they didn't have any children. I- Oh, you shock me. Um, actually, <laughs> actually, that does shock me. Eight, year, eight, eight years. Okay. I mean, f- fair. I I don't want to think about this too much because obviously we started off with him being 14 and getting married. And my first thought was, that's a bit young, but I guess, you know, yeah. of the time. But yeah, no, let's, let's move on. I mean, okay. <laughs> so they didn't have children for eight years. Um, they did, after eight years, have a child, which means by this point, Bertrand is 17 or 18, so yeah. you can feel a little bit more okay about it. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. It's 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 less dodge. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, the era, you have to take yeah. that into account, and yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, you all want to listen to this podcast? It's about weird things in history. What do they talk about? Child brides. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also child husbands in this well, case. Well, yes, like, true. Martin wasn't particularly old. Yeah, it's less dodgy than um, the uh, bit in Josephine Baker's story, for example. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so seven months after they have this baby, mm-hmm. Martin stole a small quantity of grain from his father. Okay. Um, right, stole a small quantity. A small quantity of grain, Are yes. we talking about small quantity for a person or, say, small quantity for a business? Was he setting up his own stall? I think we're saying... Or was he just hungry? <laughs> Did he just want to make some popcorn? I think we're saying small quantity for a business. Right. Like, this isn't enough to bankrupt his father or anything right, like that. Yeah. But he has stolen from his dad. Okay, but at least it's more than, like, a handful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as a result, because he was ashamed of himself for what he'd done, and he was scared of his dad's reaction, he fled for eight years. Wow. And he, yeah, so for eight years, no one really knew what had happened to him. Right. I feel like... Your family situation must be pretty bad if you think, I stole some grain from my dad, I have to leave immediately for many years. Yes. Yeah, that doesn't say that he had a great relationship with his dad. (laughs) No, no. Definitely not an open, honest and loving environment. It doesn't sound like he was able to go to his dad and be like, Dad, I've got a young family here, we finally had a kid. Yeah. Like... Could I have some bread, maybe? (laughs) Could I have 4,000 calories worth of bread? (laughs) But they're not peasants. They live in a town. That's true. Actually, yeah, they wouldn't need as much bread. No. Uh, He knows. Um, Maybe he just really liked bread. Maybe it was like the whole thing when lockdown started and everyone started making sourdough. Yeah. It was a bit like that. And he was like, I cannot get grain from anywhere else. The, The... 
<laughs> the shops are empty. The shops are empty. <laughs> Can I just have some grain? I, my wife really wants me to make some sourdough. <laughs> I mean, possibly. I don't yeah. really know what other type of bread you'd be making in medieval times. They didn't have baker's yeast. Mm, true, so. yeah. Anyway, so eight years later, so I guess Bertrand is like 26 at this point. Yeah. And their child is eight and still going. Yeah, fair enough. Um, which is impressive, the French medieval times. Or- yeah early modern times or whenever no absolutely um so martin comes back to town oh okay and and he's back right and bertrand was unsure whether this was her husband oh because eight years have passed yeah. and he's gone from being i assume early 20s to early 30s so yeah, yeah like things can change yeah. especially if you're out in the sun all the time that makes sense um but this guy looks very much like martin and he also told her the words they'd spoken to each other on the night of their marriage. Right. And reminded her that he had left a pair of white pants in a coffer on the day of his departure. (laughs) I can identify myself because I know my pants. (laughs) (laughs) I know I left trousers with you. (laughs) That's amazing. Oh, right, the American sort of pants. Yeah, hosen. Hosen, Hosen, right, yeah. I mean, hosen is kind of like underclothes-esque really i mean it depends where and when you are yeah like the history of trousers is confusing at best (laughs) it's so weird yeah anyway so she's like okay fine you're absolutely right the trousers are still here um you must (laughs) they've been there for eight years i've been waiting for you to pick them up (laughs) basically (laughs) he picks them up they're just solid (laughs) they don't Uh... move at all um and apparently other villagers felt kind of the same way. They were like, I'm not sure if this is Martin or not. Like, But he managed to persuade them by telling them all about the trousers he has left in their various homes. No, he told them each details of their shared memories, stuff they'd done together, places they'd been, conversations they'd had. Okay. And so they were like, okay, yeah, it's Martin. Right. Like, yeah. fine, sorted. And for three years, they lived together, like Bertrand and Martin lived together again happily. Okay. This doesn't sound like one of our sort of stories at the moment. Like, I guess it's a bit weird that he goes away for eight years. That is a bit odd. And we'll talk about what he did for those eight years. Oh, we know. We know. Oh, we know okay, what he did. cool. Um, okay, so, but then things started to get a bit strained in Martin's household. Right. And that's because when Martin was away... His uncle had got married to Bertrand's mother. Okay. Who was a widow. Right. And that seems to have, like, the uncle seems to have done that so that he would get Bertrand's father's, like, money. Right, yeah. So since uh, since Martin's been away for eight years, he now wants the share of the family business that right. he missed out on yeah. for eight years. yeah. And his father's just died. He died eight years ago of shock when he saw a small quantity of grain was missing. Yeah, exactly. So he tries to sue his uncle. Yeah, Who is also his father-in-law. Yeah. And his uncle, by the way, is called Pierre because of course he is. Oh my God. Right, yeah, fine. Mm -hmm. And so Pierre says, absolutely not. You cannot have your share of this family business. And tries to beat him to death. Oh, God. 
as does as do his sons-in-law. Whoa. Jesus. And apparently Bertrand at this point defends him. Yeah. But then she gets pressured by her mother and her new stepfather, who's also her uncle-in-law. Like, the whole thing gets very confusing. Wait, so Bertrand defends his uncle? Bertrand defends her husband, Martin. Oh, right. Who's the one who's nearly been beaten to death. Oh, right, yeah. Should I, re- should I say this again? I think so. I okay. think so. Okay, I, I've got a bit confused here, because I thought you said... That Bertrand asked his uncle for the shit, the inheritance, oh, right, right, right. and then his uncle beat, nearly beat him to death. No, Bertrand is the woman. Wait, who's the man? Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so confused. What have I done? I what, what's happened here? How have I got so lost so quickly? Okay, we're talking about Martin Gare. Martin, Martin Gare. Gare is the one who went away, came home, Bertrand is his wife, <laughs> who is a woman. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to my brain. I was really concentrating. It might have been me. I don't don't think so. I think I just, just, I don't know. Is it because Bertrand sounds like a a man's name? It it sounds like Bertram or something. Yeah, I think that was it. And I'd forgotten he was called Martin. Yeah, okay. So Martin, (laughs) Martin's the one who nearly gets beaten to death by his own uncle. Right, yeah. He's also now his father-in-law, which is why we're so confused. (laughs) God. (laughs) <laughs> I know. Okay, so uh, Bertrand, the wife. Yeah. I'm going to always say Bertrand, the wife Thank now. you, that would be, I appreciate That's that. That's fine. So Bertrand, the wife, goes to the judge yeah. and says that the man she's been living with as her husband for the past three years was not Martin Gare at all. <gasps> oh, the treacherous wench. It seems like she's been really pressured into this by her mother and oh, her father-in-law. Oh, right? that's sad. Like, it's kind of like, we won't beat him to death, but you need to You need to disown him. him and, yeah. yeah. So she goes to this judge and says, actually, this is not Martin Gare. This is a man called Arnaud de Thiel, who's also known as Pancette. Don't know why. <laughs> and he's... The wife, right? No, he doesn't. <laughs> He's the guy who's been living with yeah. her and her son for three years. Right. They've also had another kid together. Yeah. So he's her husband, basically. Yeah. And she says, this is not Martin. But he did try to get Martin's inheritance, though. Right, yeah. So this all gets taken to the court of Toulouse um, on the 12th of September, 1560. I hear it's a very relaxed court because it's 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 hard to lose. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, so if it turns out that he is an imposter, this mm-hmm. is Martin, the husband. Yeah. If he get if he is an imposter, then he will be executed. Whoa! Okay. And then afterwards, his body will be burned. Right. But the problem is that they can't really tell if he is Martin or if he's this other yeah. guy, Arnaud, because there's no way to tell someone's identity at that time, really, yeah. except for the fact that other people recognise them. Yeah, and I mean, he's already like gone around proving his identity to people. Yeah. So, hmm, okay, right. So what do they do? They invented DNA <laughs> testing. <laughs> well, to start off with, they led him through the streets... Um, just like to try and prove if he is himself or not. Right. Um, and they 
They basically had this long trial where they had, I think, 150 witnesses or something. Whoa. I know. Um, where they wanted to sort of work out, is this man Martin Gare? Yeah. At this point, a soldier comes along. Yeah. Like, comes into town and says, this is definitely not Martin Gare. Oh. Because I met Martin down in Spain. Right. Which is where he went during the eight years. Ah. And I fought alongside him in the army of Pedro de Mendoza. Right. At Flanders. Yeah. Um, he was wounded in the Spanish attack on St. Quentin and his leg was amputated. Oh, God. And this man's got both his legs. <laughs> oh, my God. There's so many layers to this. Right. So, okay. So... So he says, this can't possibly be Martin Gare. Yeah. I've met Martin in a completely different context. But also, why do we trust this soldier? Well, why would we? Yeah. But he is this, he's just this guy and he goes, no, no, no. This can't possibly be Martin. Martin's right. only got one leg. Yeah. And everyone else is like, well, well, then we knew Martin. He had two legs, though. Right. It is tricky. Because yeah. Anyone could just say, in a war, I'm Martin Gare. There's no exactly, way to yeah. like, work this out. This is why you need bureaucracy, because then you have paperwork trails for this this, this sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. 100%. So you've got a load of witnesses. I take it there wasn't really a conclusion from them. There wasn't like a definitive, oh, yes, we all agree. This is Martin Gare. They didn't agree. They didn't agree. Okay. So then the soldier's just making it more confusing. Yeah. So many of his witnesses said, this is Martin Gare. Including his four sisters. They all said, this Whoa. is our brother Martin. Wow. For sure. Okay. Uh, Martin, or, or this man, said to Bertrand, Martin's wife. Yeah. If you swear that I am not your husband, I will gladly agree to be executed. Whoa. And she remained silent at this point. Oh, damn. So she wouldn't say either way. Yeah. Even though she was the one who accused him in the first yeah. place. Which really suggests that she was kind of I think so I think that sounds like it sounds like the uncle is a dodgy little shit bag yeah yeah sorry the uncle father-in-law yeah that guy <laughs> Pierre <laughs> Pierre I forgot he was called Pierre <laughs> he's called Pierre God's sake I know <laughs> he might as well have a big old baguette and a string of onions or garlic mm-hmm. okay <sighs> so the other the thing is though that among others, they just wouldn't take a side or they said, no, this is Arno de Till. We know him. He's a complete bastard from like a few towns over. <laughs> right. And like a jokes, a joker and a prankster. Right. Like exactly the kind of man who would do this kind of thing. <laughs> Hilarious. But- An April Fool's Day prank that got really out of hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, I'm your husband who's been gone for eight years. Tee <laughs> <laughs> And then you fall in love with this woman and you give her a child. And you're like, maybe I am Martin. <laughs> On his deathbed, he grabs his wife hand lean pulls her in close and says april fools <laughs> and dies but it's february <laughs> um so he was actually convicted oh god and he was sentenced to death by beheading wow okay so even though there was all this confusion yeah no one knows who he is or even if he is a man or like whatever <laughs> right even if he is a man no no that was you sorry <laughs> oh yes <laughs> God, what's up with my head today? I don't know. Am I suffering from long COVID or something? Could be. <laughs> All right. So he appeals to the next stage up, basically. He goes, right, yeah. Like, the, the Court of Appeal, The basically. Court of Appeal. And they arrested 
Bertrand, his wife, Whoa. and Pierre, his uncle, Whoa. on charges of false accusation. Yeah. And they claimed that Pierre had solicited perjury. Wow. And this all went to court in Toulouse. Um, they suggested that Bertrand had been pressured into perjury by Pierre because he just wanted money. Yep. And then, during the trial, Martin Gare turned up. <laughs> what? What? No. Yes. What? Did yes. he have one leg? Yes. Oh, my God. He had a wooden leg. No. <laughs> no. Okay, how do we know he's Martin Gare? We don't. <laughs> For God's sake. He said... <laughs> this is so ridiculous. This guy with a wooden leg cracks up, is like, I'm Martin Gare, actually. <laughs> he has a wooden leg, and he says that he was in a monastery from the time of the war after he'd lost his leg right. until now. Right. Does he know about the trousers? No. Right, okay. Well, when asked about the married couple's past, he had forgotten some details. Ah. And he wasn't able to answer the questions as well as Arnaud (laughs) was able to answer the questions. Right, okay. It sounds to me like either the the soldier was in the pocket of the father-uncle-in-law. Or Pierre. Yeah. I'm just going to call him the father-uncle-in-law. Sure. I like that. All right. Um, Or there's a third scheme running where he and his one-legged friend are going to try and defraud everyone. (laughs) Could be. All right. So what they did in the end was they put these two men next to each other (laughs) and they presented them to the Gare family. (laughs) <laughs> there's the man that they think this might be our node he's there i know he looks a bit like martin gare yeah. but you know take that into account standing next to him is the man claiming to be martin gare he's several feet tall yeah. he's black he's... <laughs> <laughs> but he has a wooden leg no when they looked at these two men they absolutely agreed pierre bertrand martin's four sisters all said the new man the one with the wooden leg is martin oh my god isn't there so many ups and downs in this case? God's it's sake. so good. It's getting whiplash on this. Yeah. Jesus. Right. Okay. Okay. So the imposter, who it turns out was Arnaud all along. Right. Was convicted and he was sentenced to death for adultery, which right. is fair enough. Yeah. And fraud. But how did he know all that stuff? We don't know. Oh, no. Oh, I need satisfying conclusions from this mad story. He confessed after being sentenced. Right. And said that he'd learned about Gare's life after two men had confused him with Gare because he looked really similar. Oh. And then he decided to take Gare's place and the two and two conspirators helped him with all the details. Right. But that doesn't explain how he knew what... Martin had said to Bertrand yeah. on their wedding night. Unless, I don't know, Martin went around bragging about it. Like, was it one of those things that 14-year-old boys think is an amazing thing to yeah. say to their new bride on their wedding night? Was it like Arthur in... Um, like, Arthur, as in Henry VIII's older brother, yeah. supposedly came out of his... um, Like, came out of his bedroom after having sex with his wife for the first time and said, gentlemen, last night I was in Spain. Hey, 
which is the worst thing. Because she was Catherine of Aragon. Because she was Catherine of Aragon. Yeah. Like, maybe it was that kind of deal? Could I don't be. know. But, um, yeah, apparently. <laughs> or maybe all he said was, cheers, love. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, he apologised. I forgot that she was nine or ten. That wouldn't... Uh... No, I don't think that they did anything. No, like, I, and d- I don't And there's a suggestion so the either. reason they didn't have a child for eight years was because they yeah. were too young to consummate anything. That and that sense. was kind of recognised. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah. I'm very thankful if that is the case. Yeah. <laughs> that makes this story way less creepy and just still bizarre. It's still, just very still weird. bizarre. <laughs> right, okay, so... I... Okay, so... Arnaud apologised to everyone involved for having deceived them, including Bertrand. Right. And was hanged in front of Martin Gare's house in Artigat four days later. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, okay. I, I get that, you know, executions were more common. It feels like that it's a bit strong in this case, but I still, I get it. Yeah. Doing it in front of the family house seems a bit rank. Like... Yeah, it seems grim. Like, I feel really sorry for Bertrand in this. Yeah. Because she clearly liked this man. Yeah. Like, well enough to at least go along with the idea it was her husband for three years. And well enough to protect him from getting killed. Yeah. And... So, and when he says, I am your husband, like, if you say I'm not, then yeah. I'll gladly be executed. She says nothing. Yeah. I think she liked him. I think she did too. And now he's hanging outside her house, yeah. which is awful. And especially because I'm, I'm, sometimes when people were hanged, they would be left yeah. there. Yeah. Like, not always, but sometimes. And I, th- I figure if they're hanging him in front of his house, they probably left him there for a while. Probably. So that's just grim. You don't want to start your commute by moving past oh my the God. corpse. Imagine their poor kids. Yeah. Like, he was eight when this man came into his life. Yeah. Now he's 11. Yeah. And the man is just hanging outside his door. <laughs> that's so gross. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So... There is a suggestion of the reason why he was so able to know all of these details. Yeah. That was made by a history professor from Princeton University in 1983. Um, okay. Her name's Natalie Davis. Yeah. She said that Bertrand had agreed to the fraud. Right. Just because she needed a husband in that society and oh, he treated her well. Oh, right. That does make a lot of sense. And she says that the fact that she seems to have mistaken a stranger for her husband, like that weird idea, is yeah. kind of made up if you go, okay, she just went along with this yeah. because that made her life easier. Yeah. And she also says the fact that she supported Arnaud so much. And she also suggested that maybe she was the one who told arnaud all of the things that martin right knew. yeah that would make a lot of sense which would explain how come arnaud could answer questions about his relationship like martin's relationship yeah. easier than martin could <laughs> because martin's had a lot to do in the last eight years to be honest he has oh or, 11 years oh my god or it's just you know the women folk remember all the little things you've done oh, yeah <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Other historians think absolutely not. Right. And that Bertrand was kind of being, like, putting herself at risk, especially when she accused him of fraud. Like, yeah. that would be a bit of a weird thing to do. Yeah. I mean, it's... 
it's possible she's just got pressure from a lot of sides and she's still very young. Like, yeah, that's true. She's in her mid-twenties at this point, I think. Well, or early twenties. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I have no idea. It's a very weird story. Mm. And I think so interesting just because there seem to be so many details. Like, the case was written about straight after it had happened. Yeah. And is still you can still find the original case as written down in the public library of Bruges. Oh nice. Um which is pretty cool. If only we had that for animal trials. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> there were actually two different cases case studies written about it because it was so interesting to yeah. people at the time. And so that means that there's a load of information about it and yeah, as a result there have been a lot of films and plays and musicals mm. written about it it's a good story yeah it's, it's a really good story like really weird yeah i i feel like if you were writing it as a narrative you've got to give it a bit more of a and this def- is why someone did yeah something. yeah you need some more definitive answers and motivations going on there yeah i'm sorry i've got no answers no, i just think that's, it's interesting that's, that's fair i like the idea that bertrand went along with it mm. um but i i don't know the thing is, if Bertrand did go along with it, then it becomes really tragic because it means yeah. Arnaud really loved her because he never implicated her yeah. as somebody who helped him out. Mm, absolutely. Which he could totally have done. I mean, at that stage, it would have just been spiteful. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, like maybe it would have allowed him to get away with some more things mm. if you kind of go, well, we were both in on it true hard to tell with the french legal system of the time i've got no idea no no. maybe 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 he could just claim that he was a swarm of rats and he hadn't been notified about his court dates absolutely (laughs) thank you for listening to that time when you can follow us on twitter at that time when four and you can suggest episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com Thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby's used in this podcast. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and remember where you put your pants. Bye!